Hello, and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I'm your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and joining me today for a wild and wonderful episode of the only podcast I'm doing that's all about heists at the moment are the dynamic duo of alcohol-infused literary podcasts, the Batman and Robin of my podcast friends, PJ and Cross of Words and Whiskey. What's going on, guys? How's it going? It's going great. Love this. I'm so excited to talk about this. When, I'm pumped. I fucking you, love heist movies. Me too. It's, they're amazing. I thought I had you guys on for the Action Movie Hero one, and I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. But after a while, I got kind of worn out. I was kind of sick of action movies. Heist movies, I'm all in. Every single one. I'm like, this is awesome. Let me watch it again and again. They're just so fun and like electric and amazing. Mm-hmm. When you pitched the idea of doing heist movies, I was immediately on on board, and I was like, "There are ten that I would love to talk about," and this one was my number one. Nice. So I'm glad, maybe number two, um, but like one of my favorite movies. Period. So I'm very excited. For me, I had not seen this movie. Yet. Okay, so it's kind of like a regular podcast. It kind of is, <laughs> uh, but I I loved it. I I fell in love with it basically right away. It's hard not so to. I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, so as you guys know, you listeners out there, we got some categories coming up. I start with a summary, then I dive right into it. So, PJ Cross, we don't have any objections. I'm going to dive right in. When Jimmy Logan, played by Channing Tatum, gets fired, he convinces his brother Clyde, played by Adam Driver, and sister Melly, played by Riley Keough, to help him rob the Charlotte Motor Speedway during a NASCAR race. But they will need the help of Joe Bang played by Daniel Craig, a convicted safecracker who is currently doing time. All they have to do is break Joe out, blow the racetrack vault, get away with the cash, return Joe to prison, and get Jimmy to his daughter's beauty pageant on time. What could possibly go wrong? Well, there is the Logan family curse to consider. It's a pretty good synopsis. I'm kind of in. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Just some concept alone. I know, I know. Um, so this movie, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Feels good, feels accurate. I know Rotten Tomatoes isn't like a scale of how much you like the movie, it's how many credits like it. But 92%, that does feel like a nice score for this for me. I like this movie better than the Oceans movies, by far, like so much more. Mm-hmm. And so my first question for you guys, you already said, Cross, you were excited to talk about it, PJ, you hadn't seen it. What are your basic overall thoughts of this movie? Just like your relationship to it. Is it your favorite heist movie? That kind of thing. Favorite heist movie is tough to break. Um, because for me, that's Snatch. Okay. It's fair. And uh, like, it's hard to dethrone Snatch for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I had heard Crossland and a couple of other friends talk about this basically since it came out. And they've always said, they've always given it high praise so um i just assumed it would be good and they were right so uh strangely and i I know i know the accents kind of lead into it as well but i got weird uh oh brother we're out uh vibes from this that's a good call Um, with the uh 
Oh, that was uniform. The prison outfits too. The prison yeah. outfits as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The 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 way they just kind of stumble into into lucky situations sometimes, um, unlucky other times, obviously. But um, there there's a lot of stumbling through through the plan, and we we come to find out that a lot of it's pretty well coordinated, but what we're presented with is a pretty astonishing heist. You know, I, I absolutely adore this movie for a number of reasons. Um, the fact that it brought Steven Soderbergh back into making films is huge um, from retirement after making a series of movies, including the oceans movies um, and sort of the, the storied history about the, the writer and sort of the situation there, a lot of fun information there. Um, and, and I, I dug up a couple of like laws to, to talk about. We'll talk about the writer a little bit later. Um, but I, I love this movie. I really enjoyed, um, the concept of course, and sort of the, the outlook when I saw the trailers originally, this is one of those movies that I didn't see a trailer for. And I was like, Oh, this, this seems like a really good movie. My buddy, Tim and I at the time were like, yeah, we should, we should definitely see that. And it came and went in theaters and we missed seeing the opportunity of seeing in theaters, but it it was released relatively quickly um, on, on home release. And so the moment that it was out, we watched it, I think on Hulu, maybe it's on Amazon prime, something like that. And we almost immediately restarted it because we had such a good time and it was so funny. And like, it was just primo. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me in so many ways of like the same feeling that I got from Knives Out in 2019, like very similar mentality uh, that I had kind of in 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 the same storytelling way. But I think that everyone kills it. It's definitely I think it might be my favorite um, Daniel Craig movie, period. Wow. Okay. Um, Yeah. And I like Bond. I just don't love it. So there's that. But yeah. Yeah, there, those are some those are some general thoughts. Okay, I had a similar feeling with you where I was kind of I saw the trailer at first. I was out mm-hmm. um, because I hadn't seen the Ocean's movies yet, and I was like, "Wow, what a what a look at our current state of like movie stardom that an ensemble cast back in the early two thousands was the Ocean's movies, and now it's Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, um, Sebastian Stan, where before it was George Clooney, Matt Damon, all those guys." But then, yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah, thank you. And then I watched it, and the same as you, like, I watched it again the next day. I watched it, like, probably five times in a month, and then several more times over the years, and then twice this week to get ready for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's enjoyable every time. You notice new things every time. It's an awesome movie. Yeah. It's really interesting, too, now living on the East Coast, I kind of had a different appreciation for how easy it actually is to get from West Virginia to... Um, Charlotte, like it actually isn't that long, mm-hmm. depending on where they're at in West Virginia. So I, um, I had an appreciation for that, which was strange now living in in North Carolina. But yeah, I, I have so much praise to lot in this movie, to lot in individual scenes, characters. One of the things that I love about it is that, like a heist film, we get, uh, you know, we we assemble the crew. But as opposed to it being a very competent crew of like a safe cracker and all these other things, it is a ragtag, know-nothing band of hillbillies, um, very literally and very intentionally, uh, with the one guy who knows some science. <laughs> like that's And that's it. Hey, and don't that's forget so, fish. And fish. Yeah, fish. He knows fish all the Twitters. technology, right? He knows all the Twitters. I know all the tweets. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. 
it's just like the opposite of what you'd expect from like gathering the heist crew, right. which is so good. So they're all almost all join reluctantly, which is mm-hmm. cool. Do we have a moral reason? <laughs> yeah, that's a nice segue huh. into the categories. Category number one: this scene slaps. So I'm gonna I have my list, and then if I miss any, chime in, chip in. First one I have, and it's more or less in chronological order for me. I have the barroom scene that starts with Clyden, Jimmy discussing the Logan family curse. Jimmy goes to a satellite office, as he likes to call it. Yep. Match Chilblaine, played by Seth MacFarlane, which more on that later mm-hmm. comes in. And I like, there's a couple cool things here. And then it ends, that scene ends with the tar getting blown up and... Did you just say cauliflower to me? All that nice stuff. So that scene, I really like. There's a couple amazing parts in there. My favorite part is how transfixed Seth MacFarlane and his asshole friends are by Clyde's bartender skills. Mm-hmm. It it's it's a really interesting scene because you can't tell if they're transfixed by the fact that he's at. Like, are they paying so much attention because it is it is slow and meticulous because he's doing it all with one hand, or are they transfixed by the fact that he can even do it with one hand? And that's it's such an interesting thing because they're kind of assholes, right? So I feel like it's I feel like it's the later, but I don't really know. What do you think, Peach? I think it's more self-centered than that. I think they they want to be they want to be the center of attention in any way that they can. So they start by making fun of him for hand having one hand. And then as soon as he shows that he can do something competently, shake a drink, um, they want to make sure they're the ones to film it and put it on social media. Um, so I, I thought it was less to do with their actual transfiction on, on him and more just like, how can we gain clout? However we like, how can we do that in this backwater town right now? Okay, interesting. I took it the opposite way. I thought took it as like his incredible skill broke through their asshole demeanor and they were like actually in the presence of greatness and recognized it. But I think you guys what you guys are saying makes it sense. Be, it's it's so interesting because there are so many different ways to take it. Cause he Seth McFarland's character, um, McChilbane, Max Chilbane, excuse me, um, is basically kind of going through and he's like, Can I record it? Mm-hmm. And you can't tell if he means it in a dickish way or in like a sincere way because of the way his character is. Um, but it feels, it feels dickish. Yeah. And I think that's also why, you know, it comes off that way to uh, Jimmy Logan, right. Channing Tatum's character. The reason why I feel like it feels dickish is because he, in the same breath mentions that he has like 1.2 million followers and like, this will make you famous. Yeah. It's almost like, is that his attitude or is he like, he is a dick. Like that is his personality trait, but yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had a question for you guys going off your expertise. McFarland's character orders a stoly extra dry two olives up, not on the rocks. Is that a good drink? Is that a bad drink? Like what's the deal there? It's just a martini. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you could just say martini and that's what you get. Okay. I didn't know what it was. I was like, Okay. Um, I think up means straight up, right? Like just um, chilled. Yeah. I I took it to mean in a in a semi glass. Okay. Oh. Would a martini not be served in a stem glass? No, it's always served up. Okay. That that I guess that was my point. Is like 
up, I figured meant I figured it meant I'm something curious. else. That was the one term that I didn't know inside oh, of that I looked it up. little phraseology. And it said, yeah. uh, I mean, Doodle says it just means chilled, not on ice. Because he says up gotcha. or on the rocks. Okay. Yeah. The, the other gotcha. interesting thing that I would add in there that's actually a really, it's not that interesting, but it's kind of a downstream effect of the East Coast is there's a DuPont plant in West Virginia that leaked. And they make comment on the ice DuPont Keymore's plant um, that produces latex, right? So this latex plant notably uh, poured a ton, a shit ton of water into the river and into the water table that affects downstream a lot of West Virginia and a ton of North Carolina in the Cape Fear River Valley. I am actually downstream and impacted by that very same thing that he talks about with the ice. We've only got so much ice. I couldn't make it colder because of the, the chemicals in the water. And that's actually a real thing. Like that is a real life thing that is going on in West Virginia and uh in north carolina and there's a ton of lawsuits they're building chemors is actually building a reverse osmosis plant here to fix it there's a little bit of extra background that i have on this movie yeah and that's that's a nice sort of way to introduce that concept before the uh prison breakout scene yep. yes right yeah there's a lot of that in this mm. um the next scene i have if we're ready to move on is Immediate. I don't know if it comes immediately after that, but the next morning where Jimmy and Clyde are having breakfast, they're breaking down the heist and like the plan, that sort of thing. Like they're making the plan to do the heist. I mean, it's a lot of exposition. Yeah. It's a lot of like understanding their family dynamic and their history. And we, we get the, the note about um, how it's, it's nice that he's making a list. He's trying to be organized and that's a step up, um, which means he's being more careful and maybe that's going to influence his brother to join. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the scene entirely, um, but I didn't get a whole lot of standout moments from it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I just I just liked it because we see it's just, very charming Adam Driver, very charming uh, Channing Tatum. And the, the relationship felt very authentic there. That is mm-hmm. that is one of the best things about this movie is the acting performances cannot be understated, especially between Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. This is a fucking masterclass for Channing Tatum, presenting something that is entirely different from his usual personality and drive. His usual, I say, like his typecasting that he ends up getting stuck in a lot of the time. Um, but... It, it just goes to show that like both of them play such eccentric and excellent characters. And this is, this is one of those first moments that you really get that is when they're, when they're planning. Um, and you also, I think you get the shot of the checklist on yes. the fridge, which I fucking mm-hmm. love. I have more on I that later. That checklist. Yeah. My next scene is the sit down with Joe Bain. Incredible, incredible stuff. And there's a lot of like, so normally I'm not super gun ho about noticing filmmaking things i just look at a movie for a movie i don't see like establishing shots i don't see like close-ups pay attention to any of that stuff this movie i couldn't help but notice it all and the way he uh soderbergh or cinematographer whoever made the decision to like close up on people's faces all the time like the way the camera switches back and forth we did the overhead shots it all just like it keeps you hooked like you're hooked in on everything and that was another part of the previous scene that i thought too like just the way the film is shot you're hooked for the record, half of the people here 
are pseudonyms for Steven Soderbergh inside of the cast. So Steven Soderbergh was the editor, director, and filmographer and cinematographer. Okay. So he did all of it himself, a hundred percent, which is crazy mm -hmm. because often you would give credit like this to something like a cinematographer. For instance, Dune, we actually didn't talk about this in ours, but like fucking, um, God, what's his name? Uh, Roger Deakins, who does a lot of like Christopher Nolan stuff, the cinematography bear um, for Dune. But regardless, obviously, you know, you think about those establishing thoughts, shots, um, establishing thoughts. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> you, you think about those shots so much and the way that like he even like references over to the the um, hard boiled eggs and like the, the two quarters. And there's just so many nice touches and nuances that it's it's interesting. Yeah, it makes the whole movie feel real the way he establishes every scene and we see all the weird random people from West Virginia. Mm -hmm. In car, sir, Ray, Ted. Yep. yep. It's just, I was thinking for like the best quote section, I think I'm just going to play all the audio. Like I'll, I'll say them and we'll read it so that we can talk about it. And then in post, I'll like put in the actual audio because yeah. all the accents, I don't know how good they are for West Virginia. I looked up Appalachian accents this morning, some of them seem good, some seem bad. They're all perfect as far as I'm concerned. It's just the comedic timing of the whole thing is just so good regardless that like I couldn't give a crap if the right. accent is truly accurate because fuck. Yeah, that one, um, it's just like, like you said, Daniel Craig putting on a master class of his, I, I guess what you would say bleach blonde hair, but I'm going to say peroxide blonde. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, no, no, yeah, I would agree. That is definitely peroxide blonde. Like that is truly peak, peak white hair. Yep. Caught me off guard mm -hmm. right away because I had no idea. I, I am firmly in the camp of never watch trailers, never look at anything, right. and then go into a blind. And uh, yeah, that caught me off guard. I saw later like the uh, the title card of the of the uh, movie on Hulu has him sitting in it with white hair, and I should have noticed that, but I didn't. <laughs> like, holy shit, that's a look. That's Daniel Craig. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> also, Joe Bang is a great name, and I think like if it was Joey Bang, it's not that good. But just there's something mm -hmm. about Joe Bang and mm -hmm. some things he says later along those lines. But it's just. It's really good. I just, I can't get out of my mind when he says, I'm getting naked. Yeah. <laughs> In the back of the car. There's just so many of those, like, well, peaking. Well, like, yeah. Well, That's the, I'm getting naked. Yeah. So, well, I mean, we'll touch on this more later when we get to the quotes yeah. section, but right. I don't know if any of the quotes are super poppy outside of the movie, but in the context of the movie, they're all really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I agree. My next scene, I think you guys will love this one. The prison lockdown slash negotiation scene. <laughs> They're, oh God. It's awesome. <laughs> it's truly one of the funniest like negotiations that exists in a prisoner scene in film history. It might just be the funniest scene. I think it, it might be one of the funniest scenes ever. Like straight up. Certainly one it. of the funniest prison scenes ever. <laughs> yeah. I laughed out loud because I, I knew that it rotate. I was like, it rotates around the Game of Thrones show. And I was trying to like remember back to exactly how it happened. And then they talk about the books. I was like, oh shit, that's right. Because they're, they've been in jail for so long that they haven't. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really dark joke. I'm going to put uh, the audio from that scene in, but it's awesome. 
Now I got you napkin of demands here, what you want for peaceful surrender and the safe release of my guard you're holding captive. As warden, I can uh, approve buying a copy of Dance with Dragons for the prison library if you go up on the Game of Thrones shelf. <laughs> now, the only, the only problem is that uh, The Winds of Winter and The Dream of Spring have yet to be published, so those aren't available. No. Well, I can't do anything about what I can't control. That is total bullshit. George R.R. R. Martin was supposed to deliver the Winds of Winter to his publisher over two years ago. I know that was the original deadline. That's what it says here. But I'm reading to you from the Wikipedia page. It also says that Martin had a grueling promotion schedule or something, and it's interfered with his writing schedule. He's failed to complete the Winds of Winter. That don't make no sense. Those two guys who transferred in from Federal last month knew about all the new stuff with the hot chick and our dragons. Now, I'm telling you, I believe those two inmates had that information from watching a TV series. Again, I'm reading to you, the series has jumped ahead. It's no longer following the book. Um, I wonder if that will... If Game of Thrones was big enough and pervasive enough to let that quote stand up later after those after those books if they ever get released have they no No, and they i i'm calling it now they will not maybe after (laughs) i think we might get a we might get one i mean post death we'll get them all but not pre-death for sure calling it right now there's a right in the right in the rest of the books actually there's (laughs) there's an entire side conversation that goes on here that uh joe abercrombie has basically been pre-selected to write the last two because he writes so similar to martin interesting way better um but yeah i always had author the first law but in my head i thought that his like assistants or whoever who helped him keep the lore straight would finish it but they just needed to tag an author as like the name and i was like you know who would be sick pierce brown bring our boy in have him helmet put his name on it we get a random darrow cameo appearance like not obviously not darrow just a name drop and then i'm i'm fine yeah, James S.A. Corey being the assistant in, in well, one of the two, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, the authors of The Expanse, are the two assistants um, that help out uh, Martin keep his world straight. Kind of a have heat chat the that decades. he has like three other New York Times bestselling authors as his assistants or former assistants or whatever. Right, right. Anyway. Like, what, the, what the hell, Martin? How haven't you finished anything? <laughs> anyway, he's, anyway, he's the bestselling author conventionally right now. So as yes, was said, I think it'll in the movie, he's got a grueling pr- uh, promotion schedule. He can't. He can't do it. Also, I said in the movie that don't make no sense. <laughs> anyway, um, my next scene. This one, I doesn't need to be in the movie at all. I am delighted that it is. Dayton White's expose on whatever channel NASCAR is on right before the race. Sebastian Stan, listen, I love the Marvel movies. As much as any Marvel fanboy. Like, I'm all in on them. Mm-hmm. However, I will say the Marvel movies have wasted Jeremy Renner, who is a fantastic, phenomenal, amazing actor, and should have they should have given Hawkeye more to do. Also, Sebastian Stan being weird and funny and, like, douchey is perfect. Like, he's so good, and he, I'm glad that he finally has more to do. 
I loved it. You're right. This is one of those scenes that conventionally looking at a script, you'd be like, oh, we could cut that if we had to like cut for content. It's like, no, this that entire side plot is so interesting because it brings together that moment with Max that brings in the questioning for the FBI later, um, which is so important. But also it's perfectly hilarious that we see like how important his body is to him. And you get that especially because so much of the rest of the stuff is actually voiced over by real NASCAR drivers by like Jeff Gordon and uh, a couple of other people, like the voiceovers that you get during the race are actual NASCAR drivers. Um, so it's, it's just like a perfect blend of, of humor. And it's excellent. I, I agree with you though. It's great that he gets to just be kind of goofy and fun here. I, I agree that it was maybe a little bit longer than necessary, but I think we need to know how, particular he is in order to understand the how the drinking the energy drink would make him crash in the race and how that interaction causes him to essentially not participate in the uh or not corroborate the the story with the fbi so like to a certain extent it's it's a pretty important scene um for for them getting away with it in the end um, but I do want to point out right before that scene, the, the lead up to that little expose, I felt like it was a pretty, um, and maybe I'm reading too far into it, but I thought it was a pretty fun way to make parallels about the, about the heist that they're about to pull off. Like he's been out of the game for a couple of years. Everything's different. The cars are different. The, the track's different. The race is different. Um, and they haven't pulled off a heist in years. They haven't done anything. They've been out of practice. So I thought that was a, a fun little parallel, but I'm not sure if it was intentional or even if that makes sense. I think it does. I think that's um, well pointed out in my opinion. And if other people notice that, I would imagine that it was intentioned, intended because Soderbergh is that kind of guy that like everything is intended. I, I like to think of Soderbergh as the perfectionist version of Guy Ritchie more often than not. Like everything is so like Guy Ritchie is fairly meticulous in the way that he does things, but Soderbergh there, nothing is wasted. Everything is used. There's not a moment on screen that is like not very, very intentional. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I just fucking, I love this movie. Yeah. It's good. It's great. Uh, I have two more scenes, and then we can get into anything you guys have that I missed. Yeah. Uh, this one I categorize as Joe Bain making the bomb with his his gummy bears, his <laughs> writing the chalk like the formula on the wall. Uh, he twists the bag too tight, like all of that stuff. All of that is amazing, and it's also we like get to see his uh, his fake salt that he brought yes. up during the uh, during the visit to the prison. It's also cool that somehow like Joe Bain who refers to explosions as Joe Banks and has his broadside blonde hair and all his like weird, crazy accent and all that is actually like incredibly smart and is the only reason they're able to pull off the heist basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not just because like he can blow stuff up because he thinks about how to blow things up. He's like, it's just great stuff. I will never get over the gummy bear bomb. Like that is, so funny and the way he like asked for the gummy bears and yep. just says gummy bears it's awesome yeah he does he does have that kind of southern charm in that moment even though i know west virginia isn't really it's kind of on that bridge between southern and not 
um, Appalachia in general. But he's got a lot of that charm in the way that he kind of talks with with the attendant at the time, the the lady who was fetching the beer, um, and then the gummy bears. And I think, is that not also Millie, of whom we later realize that it is Millie when we get the reveal right at the end that she's attending because they don't pay her. She brings the two beers and the gummy bears. Oh, um, I did not notice that. Yes, didn't notice yeah. that either. Yeah, because Millie's working working the counter at the time, and then flips out. Ah, <sighs> I didn't notice yeah. Millie. It's one of those small things. <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. My last scene, fairly cheesy, actually all the way cheesy, Sadie Loden's talent. Brings me to tears almost every time. I have some questions about it later on that we'll get into, but it's just, it's so great the way she flips the song, sees her dad, everyone's happy. It's just nice. It's wholesome, good content. It's heart melting. Yeah. Like she she is truly that that relationship is really the heart of this, which is what I really love. Mm-hmm. Like there is the additional kind of like side love story of of him and uh Sylvia um that that exists, you know, and I, I think it's good and it's it's well balanced and it's it's good that it doesn't take focus from the entire story, but it shows, you know, kind of the loving person that Jimmy Logan is. Um but really the relationship with his daughter is the best. Like the very last scene where they're like driving off and they make they make the joke about ice cream and gelato and he makes the reindeer joke about dancer. You're like, or dasher. And it, it's just so wholesome. Yeah. It's the wholesome content that we need. Yeah. I have a lot more on the Jimmy Sadie dy- dynamic and the relationship mm-hmm. in contrast between her and her mother. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, are we to assume that she saw Jimmy before she started singing or because she starts singing and then it pans over and he's in the doorway. Like, do you think she chose to do that because she saw him or was she going to do that anyway? And he happened to walk in. I think she was going to do it anyway. She seemed pretty like dead set on it. Uh, Like in that Mm -hmm. moment, at least. Yeah. I think she flipped out of desire for her dad to be there. And then he was there. And so it's like this extra moment of like, oh, oh, like he really is there. He really cares. And everyone else sings along because she doesn't have the backing track that she was supposed to have. And like, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Fuck. I love I love that scene. I'm glad I'm glad you put that one in. Otherwise, I was going to have to. So, yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's like. It's so cheesy, but it like it just works. It is truly, truly heartwarming. And yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, so PJ, did I miss any scenes that made your list? Um, I, I enjoyed the, um, what, the blood donation truck scene with Sylvia. Um, honestly, I wish we had more with her. I wish she would have come more into play. Um, there's, there's a lot of that. I feel like in this film where I think it could have benefited from, a, a, I say this all the, all the time, all the fucking time about movies, but I wish it could have had like an extra 20 minutes just to really tie together some, some of the, some of the plot lines. And I think Sylvia is one of those, but, um, 
their interaction, the, um, the slow realization that he knows her and knew her in high school. Um, and then him, her, her mentioning that they mostly rely on private donations and then a, an envelope of money shows up in the end of the film um, was a nice, a nice point of really understanding how caring he is as a person um, and who, what he, what he truly believes in, which was cool. Yeah. And it's also another example of building the world, even though West Virginia is a real place, but like, you know, people around here don't <laughs> uh, want charity, that sort of you, thing. You can't convince me that West Virginia is a real place. It's almost heaven. <laughs> I don't know at least way. once. Yeah. Call um, John Denver a liar. This serious accusation. John, oh man, John Denver is a liar. Wow, um, hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like Kokomo. Kokomo is not a real place. Are you calling the Beach Boys liars? Yeah, I am calling the Beach Boys liars. That that feels safe. Right. <laughs> so they're singing the national anthem. Right when the when the helicopters are singing or taking off, right? Like it is, oh, it like is the national the anthem, lead up right? to the uh, race. I think it's America the Beautiful, but it is America the Beautiful. Part of it but it's is the like third super verse. gibberishy in the beginning. It's the th- it's the third verse. Okay. that's why. I, I that's this is what I wanted to mention. Is I think that scene's great because it points out how fucking ridiculous a lot of these songs are after you get past the first two verses, which is what all of us know of those songs and then it just like even the star spangled banner like devolves into a song that makes really no fucking sense by the time the third verse rolls around and that's i think that's what soderbergh was trying to do here is prove how ridiculous it is that like we have these anthems in front of events that like is they're unintelligible no one knows what they're clapping for they're just here to see the shit go like they're not here for this right and the, um, the way the announcer like as soon as it's like like just literal nonsense i think that you're right it is a critique of like some of the uh, performative patriotism with these sporting events. When did uh, Kaepernick kneel? Um, Was that 2016? Yeah, 2016. So this movie comes out in 2017. I'm pretty sure this is also a commentary on the Kaepernick kneeling. That's that's why like I wanted to bring that up specifically is it feels like this was him calling out how ridiculous it is that these anthems matter because they are gibberish at a certain point. And like no one really knows or understands. And like, like you said, it's kind of got this like unintelligible note to it. Um, I know that I just like pulled in a complete left field here on that one, but that's, uh, that's the energy I'm bringing today into the show in general. This is a pro democracy podcast. Uh, We support (laughs) first amendment rights to protest during. So yeah, I don't, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So I I guess my point was, is that clearly uh, him or Rebecca Blunt, which we'll get into decided that they wanted to include this in in the film and it's a huge deal and i think it's i think it's important i think that it was good that he he did this as sort of that that mock the the sort of ridiculous that is around the ceremony of sport with like the helicopters and everything it's just grandiose for no reason yeah especially nascar which is like almost peak like america fuck yeah type of stuff i would agree I worked for Sprint at the time, and the Charlotte Motor Speedway is the Sprint Speedway. Huh. How about the that? The Sprint Yellow. Look at this guy, yeah. all the inside info. All the random knowledge. I'm here to be your random knowledge guy this time. Boom. Okay, so we can kind of 
if you guys want to say what your favorite scene is, you can go ahead and do that, or we can just move on. I don't, I don't really care. Um, favorite scene. PJ, do you know what yours is? I'm a sucker for montages, especially within heist films. So the the reveal at the end of everything that had to that took place behind the scenes um, is my favorite. Okay, I love that. I can't give enough credit to. There's a bold choice in this film that I want to make mention of, and that is to add. Hillary Swank's FBI character in the third act. That is so unconventional in filmmaking to add a character so late without setting them up beforehand. But then again, how would they have known? How would the FBI be on this trail? Why would they have been involved in the first place? They wouldn't. So logically, she comes into the third act. And I think all of the Sarah Grayson components are fantastic. And I think she's funny. And I think that it's a weird Hillary Swank too, which I love. Like, it is a weird take on Hillary Swank is playing a character. She's got a very weird enunciation, very specific, very, like, venomous. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Did I skip the meeting the Brothers Bang scene, or did I bring that up? No, you did skip that one. Okay. I also love that scene. That, I love. That's the example I was thinking of with the establishing shots, yeah. building the world. And we get mm-hmm. some, like, that tar- the whole carnival or fair or whatever. There's, like, a lot of really good stuff with that where, like, um, Jimmy's ex-wife, Bobby Joe's new husband, Moody, is, like, super hardcore flirting with Melly. Does not help her even though her hands are way overfilled with stuff. And mm-hmm. then, like, Sadie upset that she didn't win the drag race thing. And then the Bane brothers just... Bobbing for corn, dominating it. Athletes at the peak of their games. Pre the boys, I think. Um, Jack Quaid. Oh, so Jack Quaid. He's so good. At he's this. yeah, just I like did. really good. It's like it was probably his breakout role. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. I think it was actually. And, you know, this the. We need one of them Facebook boys. And he's like, listen, I know everything there is to know about computers. All the Twitters. I know them. That's fantastic. Like, all the Twitters, I know them. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Yeah. I think that's my favorite scene. college. Yeah. I, you went to what? I went to technical college. <laughs> it's so clear that he doesn't understand what technical college is. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. They're just good. It's just, um, anyway, mm-hmm. moving into best characters, not so coincidentally. Um, oh, side note, this was not his breakout role. Uh, he was in Hunger Games. He was a minor background character yeah, in Hunger Games. Killed Games. Killed you by haven't seen the movie. Both yeah, of he's them? Like, he's in the first one. He gets killed by Katniss. He kills yeah. Rue, I believe. He's in the second one, too. I think it's, it's archival in, it's footage. In, it's an archival footage of when she right, kills. Well, him. yeah, yeah. I don't, you don't know I this because you've been. I don't it, know the movie. Yeah, I was just looking fine. it up. Well, that's, that's fact like, checking, man. Like, wow. let me let me now, call John Denver the fact a liar. Check. We call the Beach Boys liars. Now we're calling me a liar <laughs> on my own podcast. Oh my Fuck god, you guys. <laughs> anyway, fuck you guys. I'm going home. Wait, I'm already home. I think we're all home, right? Yeah, right. How about that? I think so. So. Am I home? Okay, best um, best character. I did love. I I love their little huddle though, their yes. little huddle in that yes. scene. Mm-hmm. That was like, um. What do you think? Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, my favorite show is Psych, as I think I've mentioned with you guys before, oh, yeah. and yeah. the main characters in Psych do similar things to that all the time. Yep. 
that is almost the exact same comedic beat. You're right. I totally hadn't thought about that. That's definitely a psych beat. I need to rewatch Psych. I think it's I said that game. last time you brought this it's, up. I think you did. I've watched every episode a million times. It's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, people. <laughs> Back to it. Um, best characters. This is not necessarily like my li- my ranking of them, but Joe Bane. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Fish Bane, who I wanted to talk about. We I have him in a different category as well. Um, Clyde Loden, Melly Loden, and Jimmy Loden. Those are mine. I didn't really like the Hillary Swank stuff as much, mm. so I don't have her or anyone else. I, and I thought, you know, those besides Fishbane, those are like the main people anyway. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good list. I mean, that that is most of the people that we actually spend time with. Yeah, and care about all that. Uh, yeah, I I didn't so much. Um, we don't really get a a whole lot of action from the brothers, um, other than that one scene and like side things here and there. They're driving the truck and stuff like that, but uh, or like the the golf cart with the garbage. Jimmy showing um, up, you know, yeah. at their place, being like, "Are you gonna? F- are you guys fucking awake?" Like, and they're like, "Yeah." yeah. I just I thought around them. Jack Wade was awesome in this. I just really liked Fish. Yeah. Plus the Nate later again, Joe Bane, Fish Bane. That's awesome. So I know they aren't in it a lot, but um, both uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Dwight Yoakam, who plays the warden, is so funny. Like, he's so dry. And like it's just it's the opposite of the rest of the humor in the film, and it's so good. I did really like it. Yeah. He's in my lines. uh scene stealers. I have him in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um yeah, which is funny because you guys know who Dwight Yoakam is, right? Like he's a he's a country star. Right. Like yeah. PJ probably doesn't. That. Yeah. I I think I looked it up for this, but like that's the only reason I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. But this movie yeah. has like him, he's in there, and then like all the NASCAR people in there. And it's just like this movie is so well done that like all the NASCAR people you don't notice that they're NASCAR cameos. Like you just think they're random actors who did stuff. And it's like like the um, state troopers were NASCAR drivers. Mm-hmm. And I would never have thought that. Yep. I would have thought they were just actors. Like they're really good, and like the comedic timing is great. And it's just like, I don't know, Soderbergh are just like way better than I thought. It, and Leanne Rimes, I'm pretty sure, plays the old woman, and she's like a huge. I mean, obviously, it's Leanne Rimes. I'm pretty sure she plays the old woman in the car, um, that gets pulled over in the purple car. Oh, okay, like okay. just make up to hell. Um, there's just so that's, many of those like different moments that are so good. That's the same woman that was getting her hair done by Millie, right? Correct. I think Millie, Millie, Millie. Yeah. Which is Rhymes why they knew when she was going to be released and they knew that she would speed because she's an old lady. Clearly, there's like some background. Again, Soderbergh, credit to Soderbergh and his writing partner, his life partner um, for writing such a good, such a good film. You guys ready to move on to notable quotes? Yeah. Like I'm I said, I'm going to read all these. You have a lot. I I, I love these. Okay. Like, okay. yeah. Um, so I'm going to read them all so we can talk about them, but yeah. probably didn't put them all in because... The accents, you have to hear them, people, even though hopefully you watch the movie and aren't just listening to us. Yes. Number one. I am in car, sir, 
Rated. Just the way he says so it is good. so good. And I think He's... a lot of I've heard people that I just that I know criticize Daniel Craig's accent work in this. And I think it's the most West Virginian. I think it's like the best one. It's a specific type of West Virginian, but I think it's like the coal miner, authentic, weirdly high pitched voice. Like I think that's very accurate. It's so weird because even if it too. Yeah. even if it is an authentic, I don't care. Right. Because he does such a convincing job of making it seem like it's right that like I don't care. Right. <laughs> I'm curious if this is a similar thing that Cross and I would experience with uh with films like Fargo and the oh, Minnesota yeah. accents. Like I wonder if it's just a little bit too accentuated. I would imagine and people would take offense to it, but yeah, for us non-West Virginians, oh, I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I agree though. I I really liked the way he yeah did his, did his accent. The whole I time. would. I don't know if there's like behind the scenes on these that I can watch somewhere, but I would just love to know how much are choices that Daniel Craig made and how much was in the script or like direction. I'm sure that it was a combination of the two because the writer was also on uh, on prem the whole time. So a lot of the behind the scenes stuff did have the writer on on scene with them and the uh, director as well, obviously. So I would imagine what's interesting, what I've learned um, from listening to so much about screenwriting and and podcasts like this um, and directors and movies and stuff like this is that the script comes and you get the script. And a lot of the times like Ryan Johnson, 20% is maybe improv on top of his already very immaculate script. Other directors sometimes allow for more and less. I wouldn't be surprised if Soderbergh had the same kind of thing where it's like, we can improv a little bit and like play around with it. Fuck it. We'll take another take. Do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it seems like one of those things. My next quote, if you will, more of an exchange than a quote. We need computer whiz. I know everything there is to know about computers. Okay. All the Twitters. I know. Them. It's just great stuff. <laughs> All the Twitters. I know them. Like I would, I just feel like, there's some times you watch a movie and there's just like, I want to know who wrote that line, like who came up with it, who thought of it, like how it's just perfect. It is literally a perfect line. It is perfectly delivered. It is yes. still hilarious. Despite how many times I've seen this movie now, it is so good. Like, yeah, yeah. He, I, uh, yeah, yeah. Are, are I don't doing- have anything more to add. It's just, Awesome. Can I? Are you going sequentially through the movie with quotes? I don't remember. I can't. Kind of. Okay. I I don't have that many because I figured you would have a lot. Cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I got. And I got one. Like I said, end. for me, it was more exchanges yeah. and like in context. Right. But yep. Real quick. I've talked about Fishbane a ton. Can we get a Fishbane solo, like spin off, whatever he's doing? I want to know. I'm in. <laughs> I want to see him pass out with his brother drinking beers yeah. a lot. Like, I just imagine Trailer Park Boys get... style, like, yes. fish bang. <laughs> Can we get the Bane Brothers podcast? <laughs> yes. Just, just give whatever. me an hour of them yeah. talking. I would listen to it. <laughs> Brian Gleason does kill Sam Bang. Like, yes, we don't talk good, about but... it, but, like, he is, he is, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. the fact that he's doing this impression as an incredibly Irish man, yes. like, he's incredibly Irish um, and completely flipped his accent, yeah. Yeah, and the Sam is good too because he has like the he doesn't do it all the time, but randomly he flips the first letter of words, and it's mm-hmm. I don't know if it's consistent, it's so but good. it's so good whenever it happens and you notice it, and it's it's yeah. great stuff. 
You're like, what? Yes. What did you? That flashed through my brain, and I need to rewind. Yes. <laughs> Um, my next quote is during the prison standoff when uh, Naaman, I think it might be Naaman, I think it's Naaman, the uh, inmate, and mm-hmm. the warden's reading off their list of demands. He's like, unfortunately, I you know, I can't get the winds of winter and all that. <laughs> He's just like, that is total bullshit. George R.R. R. Martin was supposed to deliver the winds of winter to his publisher over two years ago. And this is 2017, movies probably shot 2016. We're well past that at this point, and we are still five years yeah. past that, and he's still no winds of winter. It. So I agree, like total bullshit. Just the adding to that, and the the evolution of that conversation, where he's ta- they're talking about the two guys from last month who got transferred in. Uh, we're talking about that hot chick with the dragons, yes, and uh, something I can't remember the exact quote, but he's like, "That's from the film." They they have surpassed yeah. they have surpassed the the books at this point. They're like nah, <laughs> they're not having it don't at care. all. Yeah, <laughs> and I love how everyone's on the side of that. They're all angry, like, not just like a couple of people. Like, and it makes sense that we we see the warden's a cheap state. They're like, there's no way this guy's buying it. He just doesn't want to buy us the two extra books. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. It that got me thinking about like life in prison, and if they get a book series in the, in the library that like kind of goes through a spurt of popularity, like does the entire prison population, like just start talking about the game of Thrones? Like, does that happen in prisons? I'm sure, I'm sure it could. That is like a core concept to the Shawshank redemption. So like that is a component of like the shared books in the library that they build. Um, I'm, I'm sure without a doubt. Also, that is a big thing that Stephen King has advocated for and basically has used most of the profits from Shawshank is to put books in prisons and like pays to build libraries in prisons for that exact reason. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm sure that things like that would circulate around a prison when people are like, this is a really good book. And like you kind of hand it off and recommend it because you, you have to be so limited into what you can take in. So I would assume that that's why so many people come out of prison incredibly literate. Not everyone, but many people come out very well read in the end. It's in because you've nothing else to do. Important part of American Gods as well. Yes, a very important part of American Gods. Yeah, we love Shadow. We stand Shadow here. Uh, my last quote: Is it twenty or is it thirty? We are dealing with science here. <laughs> I love it. Is it 20 or is it 30? We are dealing with science here. Have these all been... Oh, not all of them, but yeah. almost all of these quotes are Joe Bang. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, just because like I said, it's like I don't really remember a lot of quotes from this movie. It's not like one of those ones where you're like epic standout things. It's the way that they're read. And I know Clyde has some good ones and all that stuff. And like mostly Clyde and Jimmy together when they say things at the same time. It's good. And like you said, uh, PJ, Adam Driver's accent is also very good. And oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. But, but I, I completely agree with you. The one that's the person delivering all the really memorable lines is Daniel Craig as Joe Bang. Like, there's no real way around that. Like, he is doing a bang up job, pun intended. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I the first episode I did that was sort of like a pilot for this season almost. Looking back on it, uh, 
my friends and I did an episode, same format, basically, about Knives Out. And it was the same mm-hmm. kind of thing where we had a million Benoit Blanc quotes. The common mm-hmm. thread, Daniel Craig being a weird southerner. Daniel Craig. Yeah. That is that is funny. Um, okay, so if, if you're out of I'm quotes, out. I've... I've got a couple. PJ, do you have quotes out of? Out of I've got one. Okay, I've got okay. one that hasn't been mentioned yet. We'll we'll hang on for yours for the end, then. We'll let you end cap it here. But I love the. I finally know what song I'm going to sing for talent. What song? Umbrella by Rihanna. When Rihanna sings "Umbrella," she's not singing about a rain umbrella. She's singing about her vagi- vagina. It's code. Who told you that? Everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From the kids. Yes. Like it's just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just so unexpected. Yeah, and but also it kind of plays into like the douchebaggery of the the dad's kids. Yes, like, and also like it just seemed again like very authentic. Like poor Jimmy Loden, just like totally not ready for that. He's like he doesn't talk like that, and he's got two little eight year olds talking to him about that sort of thing. You know, and it's just like yeah, another piece of like world building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of um, of kind of like small things that that are like tucked all over the place inside this movie and i don't another one of my favorites on this watch was um you wanted that when he's when uh jimmy's walking into the salon you wanted them unibomber types yeah i'm one of them unibomber types it's like whoa because <laughs> he's so he's he's just like so like wh- why the fuck would you ask someone yes. that <laughs> just because he doesn't like having a cell phone yeah yeah exactly and it's yeah. it's just so it's so good Channing tatum i was looking at his filmography uh in preparation for this for a category later on and mm-hmm. so i you know like i'm sure most dudes out on Channing tatum until 21 jump street because it was all mostly rom-coms to that point and i'm sure we all had to deal with like our middle school high school girlfriends being obsessed with them it was a lot it was like how am i supposed to root for Channing tatum at this point then he does like the reverse heel turn does what is that? A face turn? There's a face turn. Does mm-hmm. 21 Jump Street. You're like, oh, Channing Tatum isn't some weird, handsome douchebag. He's a charming, goofy idiot, and he's awesome. And I was all, I've been all in ever since. So he's, I was glad he got to be like a real against type actor who's like playing someone stupid, but also like super brilliant at the same time. Yep. Yeah. 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 With you. Um, it is it is so good and like like I kind of said at the beginning one of the reasons I, I was pumped in the mid um in the late mid late 2000 well in the late 2010s um when he was announced as gambit yes. because of roles like this because he is funny and clever and kind of has that endearing accent and I felt like I, I you really kind of see what you can imagine gambit being if instead he was pretentious mm-hmm. as opposed to reserved and wholesome um in Tatum's performance here you can kind of like draw the line between the two and this was the movie that was like I'm in mm-hmm. unfortunately I don't think we'll ever get that um but it's still one of those things that like I I think about a lot mm-hmm. I think about often um is that there's the classic line though you sucked my arm off from Clyde Logan yep. which is so good yes <laughs> and you know exactly like exactly what's going on at that scene uh, oh my god and then uh there's the ocean 7-eleven because they found the truck yes. money behind a convenience store which is great steven soderbergh referencing his own film mm-hmm. good work i love good, when that, good, that happens 
like in um the, in uh the gentleman how guy Ritchie mm-hmm. at the end did in the movie pitch room has like the man from uncle on his wall yeah right in the studio yep. it's just like especially because it was like the man from uncle which slaps but was like a commercial disappointment i was just thought, i thought that was a good flex from him yeah yeah mm-hmm. love the man from uncle i don't think pj's seen the gentleman yet which is crazy because yeah, you love guy Ritchie. i've seen the gentleman I know. like 15 times it's I have also seen it like Amazing. Eight, nine times. It is. It's so good. It is one of the best. It's like Richie all movies. of my movie watching time is like taken up by spare preparation for podcast. Blow it off. So. I give you permission to blow it off. <laughs> Fucking shit. How dare you? I'll write a note. Uh, I'll write a note. But also, yeah. Thomas excuses PJ from podcast prep so that he can watch The Gentleman. Signed, Thomas. This includes this show, like right now. By the way, that's fine. That's time. I, you come on. You don't don't prepare. That's fine. PJ, <laughs> I'll watch the, the movie. <laughs> off the cup. Yes, I really enjoyed this Logan Lucky movie. <laughs> Logan was really lucky. <laughs> Which character is named Logan? I'm unsure. <laughs> um, yeah, I honestly, I think those are those are most of my quotes. There are a couple of other ones that like linger in my brain that I just love when they come up. But I think those are the ones that like really stand out for me personally. There's one that we mentioned earlier that uh, that we didn't bring up in the in the quotes category of the. Uh, I'm gonna get naked back here. Oh yeah, no yeah. peeking, Millie. I'm about to get naked back here. So no peeking. I said no peeking. Would you give me my arm, please? <laughs> Is it this one? Uh, but around the same time, I can't remember if it's before or after. I think it's uh, I think it's right before that. Uh, Clyde, can you can you grab me or can you hand me my arm? Is it this one? Yes, that's when you know this movie is like all timer. Just from that, because you're like, oh, Daniel Craig is having <laughs> the most fun, <laughs> and just the way he laughed is awesome, and like. I don't, like, okay, I'm not super, like, I don't know. The way he's, like, immediately just hooked on Melly makes me a little weird. Because he's, like, well, you drew up and just, like, stares at her. Which, I mean, it makes sense. You know, he's been in prison for who knows how long and all that stuff and all that. But just a little weird. And then <laughs> Melly rhymes with smelly. All that, like, Joe <laughs> Bain for president. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Dang it. I love I love both of those that you said though, PJ. Um there's just so many there's so many quotable moments from this film uh that are just just fantastic. Like yeah. They're just like great one-liners constantly. This film is like a film of one-liners in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I liked um I don't have this one. This is just like off I probably don't have the exact one, but when yeah. the Sam and Fish are like it's a full Sam says that's a Vagrant, wait, vagrant, vagrant violation of our vagrant, yeah, violation or violation violation of our morality clause, because NASCAR never hurt nobody. NASCAR is America. Yes, (laughs) that's a vagrant violation. Yes, (laughs) that's what it is. Yeah, I can't. I I don't know. I could be reading it and I wouldn't be able to get it right. I was no way I could do it anyway. So that's uh, who whatever Gleason that is. Great actor, just because he didn't get his V's and F's messed up. 
all the time. A real bank vault? Yeah, it's a tough one, too. I looked it up on Google. Yes, great call. Great call. <laughs> this is an awesome movie. And yeah. anyway, new category so for this season. If you could add any character from another heist movie or crime movie, this like heist movie type vibe, who would it be and why? So I have several. Did I did I prep you guys for this one? Um, no, oh. but we're That's pretty my good bad. at thinking about bad. this shit on the fly. No, 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 no problem. Fire, no, fire off your orders. So we'll, mine we'll are mostly fish out of water. Putting them in West Virginia, I think it would be funny. So I think yeah. if we, because also like I said, I, I do think Hillary Swank does a good job, and like you said, she's doing like it's weird. Hillary Swank, she has like a great enunciation and. All her choices are good. I thought it'd be funny if we got Detective Keith Frazier from Inside Man. Just we That's get Denzel. Great. That's a great call. He'd be just like, what on like what is happening with these weirdos? Um I thought Riley Poole from National Treasure, just because picturing him being he's the tech guy in National Treasure, um, just mm-hmm. how exasperated he would be with the West Virginians would be incredible. Like he would just have no idea how to handle them. And I, I mean, we'd have to change the movie a little bit to get him, like, some actual tech hacking type stuff with him and Fish. But that would just be great. I would love it. I'd be all in. Um, National Treasure is unironically, like, one of my favorite movies. So I'd probably have, I have more mileage for that than most. But I don't care. There's going to be an episode of that coming up. I mean, it's a, it's a great, great movie. So no questions, sir. And my last one, which I think is, it's unfair. It's Fishing with Dynamite, if you will. I would have loved for Benoit Blanc to be in this movie. Of course. Yeah. I don't care that we did. be a great counterpoint. It's just like Benoit Blanc, Blanc talking to Joe Bain. Imagine them. He goes to prison to interview Joe Bain to figure out how he got out of prison. That's phenomenal. Just them sitting in that little cafeteria type place. You know Benoit's getting him the egg. He probably did tonight for himself. Yeah. We didn't mention this. This was actually the thing that I was thinking about in quotes that I totally blanked on. Um, the salt, the fake salt, mm-hmm. that is one of the best like little diatribes in the entire movie. Do you know that they make fake salt? And he like lists off like the the uh, chemical compound that composes the salt, which also sets it up for later. Like it's great filmmaking in that way, but it is just such a clever thing. He's like, I got high cholesterol, and they're giving me this fucking fake salt. I hate this shit. <laughs> what do you think um, that tastes like? From a personal, I, uh, I know, I know what it tastes oh, what like because my really? grandparents have it. All right. Um, I mean, it tastes like it mostly just tastes like salt. Okay. Disappointing. It's not a. It's not as flavorful. It's not as strong. Like, I don't know. Okay. I, I was hoping it tastes it like more. The, somewhere between nothing and salt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's essentially what it tastes like, but it's not very good at taking off leeches. Found oh. that out. It's not as good as regular salt because they don't shrivel up some, as much. Is this some sort of Minnesota thing? I'm too New Yorker to understand. Yeah, just lakes, lakes. Yeah, I mean, it probably is a Minnesota thing, but Could yeah, be. lots of yes. lots of leeches in Minnesota lakes. And because leeches need but... clean water, right? That's probably why. Uh yeah, I think, I think they're, they're fresh water. I think they're yeah. primary, primarily fresh water. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, fresh oh. and clean. PJ, I don't want to steal yours because I'm pretty sure I know what yours is. It's Tommy. It's Tommy. Okay. I wasn't going to pick Tommy. That's good, okay. though. I'm going with Tommy from Snatch. Yeah. Um, because he's also like similarly like 
kind of out of his depth. Mm-hmm. Doesn't quite know what's going on, but he's gung ho about it. Goes and gets a giant fucking gun. Like, I don't know. He's goofy. He's funny. Uh, but he's trying to take things a little bit too seriously um, for what he's actually prepared to do. So that's my pick. Tommy's a great pick because he is hilarious. Um, I am between uh, Bullet Tooth Tony and Mickey O'Neill, also both from Snatch, um, which <laughs> like I thought you were going to pick Mickey O'Neill because I think it would be hilarious to throw a pikey into the middle of this just to like see them like try to bare knuckle boxer. His. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> try to deal with him. He'd, like he'd punch out the first guard that shows up that's awkward and uncomfortable and they'd have to deal with the other one. They're like, fucking dude like and they can't even speak his language so they're like wrangling him i can just imagine it going off the rails with uh with mickey o'neill in a fun way um so that was that i think that's i think those are my picks for sure and Bor, i mean fucking boris not boris the blade uh two missing two tony um gosh tony anyway regardless just the big dude in all the Guy Ritchie movies that like just steps in and is intimidating as hell. You can just imagine him like standing around, not saying words in the background of this whole thing. And then like looking at him being like the fuck, like I, I would want to see the reaction between Tony and um, uh, Joe Bang's character specifically. Cause I think Bang would be like poking him and he'd be like, like trying to get a rise up with this guy. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> That's a good call. Yeah. I haven't, I have to rewatch covering. So are, you, are you covering snatch in this uh in the series um i'm not i'm not okay but i have to re- i have to watch um that and some other i have to rewatch a ton for the heist movie draft at the end with the character draft okay uh but i already have i have like 100 characters on there already it's probably too much but i don't care <laughs> and snatch is like 20 characters yeah so yeah yeah but it's also just like am i gonna pitch someone from snatch to rob the louvre when i have like Neil Matali from Heat and all like all these other people available. It's a fair point. That's a fair point. Probably take yeah. um what's his name? Uh Turkish though. You'd probably take Turkish. Turkish is yeah. The thing is with like Snatch and Lockstock, they're great, fun heist movies, but nobody's good at heists in them. And it's like it's not exactly <laughs> a heist movie. You know, like it's not exactly yeah, a heist that's movie. Fair. That's the other part of Snatch and Lockstock. Like they're they're just like crime movies, which is odd. <laughs> but anyway, I'm yeah. playing a little total side tangent. Loose with the laws, you know. Yeah, they fall into the category. Yeah. well enough. Yeah, that's fair. But I don't. I personally don't consider National Treasure to be a heist movie. I think there's a heist in it, obviously, but mm-hmm. that I think it's an adventure movie. But like, when else am I yeah. going to have an excuse to talk about National Treasure? It's a fair point. Yeah. 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 Love fair. it. Okay, my next category. We have some questions. This is some of them can be actual questions, but it's also just like nitpicks, anything that was like a little weird, anything stuck out to you that isn't like a trivia thing or like something you like, specifically nitpicks or plot hole type questions. So one of mine, nobody saw Clyde and Joe when they uh, got out from the truck at the gas station and ran across to the car. Joe doesn't crouch. He just walks and the prison jumpsuits very noticeable. Those are quite the fashion statement. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal. It's just like doesn't ruin the movie yeah. for me or anything. Just someone saw it, and I think the movie does a good job of without going out of their way to be like this is West Virginia, like tiny backwater towns. Nobody snitching to the FBI. 
you know that the, nobody snitched into the FBI without them explicitly saying that like so many movies do. Like, you don't have the FBI mm-hmm. scene where they're like, nobody's talking to us, like these locals, right? They kind of do, though. You know what I mean? Like, they... It, well, I mean, in this movie, they kind of do, right? And the way that the reason that I say kind of is because all of the locals think that they're heroes, right? And that's like addressed over the. So you know, it's kind of this thing where even if someone saw them, they're not giving them up, right? That's like, but they don't have like. I feel like almost every other movie, like the FBI would have said that themselves. Oh yes, not yeah, you're right. They want to be right. like it's in environmental, yes. instead in this, yes. yeah, which is cool. Good point. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd agree with that. So what would happen when the little hatches that they installed are discovered on the bottom of the trucks? I Didn't they pull them off? Uh, no, they rehooked them, I thought. Yeah, they reattach it so it's not just dangling. I mean, I guess at the end, the warden does believe the FBI that, they, that Joe Bain broke out is implied. Like, he thinks that's what mm-hmm. happened. So I guess nothing because he doesn't want anyone to know that someone broke out of prison. Yeah, there's there's a meta commentary there about incompetence for sure. My thought is they probably take care of that next time the truck comes for a delivery. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. That makes sense. Yeah, they just remove it, get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that checks out. That makes sense to me. This is a big question. Are we sure that Seth MacFarlane? was the right casting choice for this guy. I thought he was Australian until I re- like did the research for this movie and discovered Matt Schoblin is British. So he was supposed to be played not by McFarlane, but by, um, what's his name? Uh, Michael Shannon originally. Okay. Oh, Michael Shannon lost out because of conflicts. And so it was huh. basically Soderbergh calling in a favor to, to McFarlane to have him fill in. Kind of last minute by my recollection on the production notes. Uh, Michael Shannon is not British. He plays Zod. No, right, right. he plays a very convincing, you know, he's also knives out. He's in a lot yes, of things. But, but I was just making sure he wasn't British. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Not British. Interesting. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. It's completely different. It would be different. a lot more intense. Yeah. Right? Like, it would be a much more intense role. I'm. Which would be kind of funny. Would you, like, it makes more sense that Jimmy gets beat up by him and his henchmen then. If it's Michael Shannon, mm-hmm. that's I'm kind of like, wow, I want to see this now. I think it changes the movie like pretty significantly. I, I, I think I, it... I, go ahead, Beach. I didn't really like his character that much. Um, it felt out of place and it felt cartoonish in a completely different way than the rest of the characters. Like they're all a little like, eccentric and they're all, especially fish is like a little over the top, but not in the same real out there kind of way as this character is. Um, I have another the, note. It's almost it. like, it's like the undertones of what he's saying should be the ridiculous thing. Like the idea that he cares this much about the energy drink should be what's ridiculous. Not him talking about how much he cares about the energy drink. Like that should be the conflict, not the physical, like weird performance that McFarland's giving. I would, I would agree. I think he's probably the weakest point in the film, but again, it doesn't, it doesn't get anywhere near ruining it for me. No, not at all. Uh, can I pitch yeah, something that I sure. think saves his character and like, as sure. is, I think so when, Hillary Swank's character is dressing him down about Dayton White not corroborating his story. Could we have had another subplot, like another line where she's like, you know, I looked into all sorts of things about you, like the fact that you're not from England, you're from XYZ town in America. And that's why he's like so cartoonish is that he's not even British. It's like all fake. That would make a lot of sense. That I mean, that's it. a good way of pitching it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would love that. And then he like drops the accent. Yeah. That would be kind of funny. Next hmm. question. Yeah, I dig that. In the final scene that I talked, not the final scene, but the talent scene that I taught, we talked about, we all loved, cheesy, heartwarming, beautiful, perfect. Mm-hmm. Is it good or bad etiquette to sing along with the contestant at a beauty pageant? It felt I think- weird. I agree. Okay. I, you know, I've um, never been in a beauty pageant. Listeners, PJ, very handsome. He could have been. I've I never. Know. I should have. I wasted opportunity. Were either of you guys know. in choir? Uh, I was until not in high school. My I stopped okay. being able to sing once my voice changed. Got it. So from from my perspective, agree that it's it's a little bit strange, especially for a child. Like if the if the goal of the performance is a child. But I think that it, it was moving that she decided to change the song and then also like dropping out the background track that was clearly planned and like queued up um, makes it gives it a little bit of a different edge of which they want to like lend their voice to support her and be like the background. Right. Um, so it's supposed to be like a moving scene and that's very intentional. But what I would say is even as a choral singer, like in concert choirs and in, in a lot of those things growing up, um, fucking people would sing along, which is also the worst because you're like delivering a performance and like people would be like humming and you can like hear it. And I just remember that in all kinds of like small room competitions and stuff like that. And I, it would, it would irritate me to no end as like a, you know, competitive singer, which didn't really matter at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the, I would agree. It's, it, it is poor etiquette at the very least, (laughs) but you know, it's a child. I feel like it's better because it's a kid. Like it's more acceptable. So my take on it was a little like a, it felt strange that they would join in singing during a competition. Um, her voice is a little shaky. So maybe they felt like, I, I don't know. It, it felt really strange. And s- similarly on like, not similarly, but um, in addition to that, it felt weird that she was then a she she then won. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PJ, it's because she won everyone's hearts. That's what's important. I get that. I feel like it almost would have been more meaningful to have her not win, and then didn't she like, mess up hit... the words too right away? Isn't that another part of it? Like she skips a word. Maybe I don't. I don't I remember. Think... I think that's the other reason that people kind of chime in is because she's like missing a couple of words here and there. And so they're like singing with her to like lend confidence to. Okay. Uh, but I, I kind fair. of agree. Like if yeah. it bombs, I do agree with you. I was just saying like on top of it, but like if it bombs and it's just like purely for her and her dad, I think that's even a little nicer. Yeah. And I mean, and imagine the, the line of him like con- uh, consoling her for not winning and her be- her growth is she doesn't care because yeah. right away right away she's like it doesn't matter if i don't win like it took second or whatever it doesn't matter if you don't win and to to overcome that and be like no it what all that mattered was that it was for you and that you were here like uh, imagine that sort of touching thing coming into play that would have been great would have been very beautiful i I think to just extend this a little bit, PJ, the way that I'm thinking about this, to some degree, maybe this helps my brain with the metaphor, working it out loud, but um, PJ and I were both swimmers, and when people finish the 500, the cheers at the end get louder for the people who are in last place, right? Because they're going through a very hard race, and it's a long, you know, for some people, it can be like an eight, nine, 10-minute race, I mean, depending on how long we're talking. Um, 
and like the age range. And so the people who finish first generally get like claps and whatnot, but it gets really loud for the last person part like out of sympathy. There's some sort of like parasocial sympathy that happens there. And it feels the same to me. Like my brain thinks of it the same way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Empathy. Right. Then why empathy? did she, yeah. why did she win? That was like, that, the judges are suckers. She's not <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I just feel like bad parenting. You got to step in. You got to be like, Sadie, love you to death. Not sure Sinning's your talent. How about go-kart racing? Can we get that Which, as your talent? Putt-putt, you know? Yeah. She came in second. That boy's dang near 14. She's crushing it. She must. True. She's like preternaturally gifted as a go-kart racer. And she, she, she's done with pageantry. She wants to cook. Yeah. She's on to the next thing, you know? Yep. Like all kids, which I think is also a great, like little tucked in detail inside of this movie. Yes. Uh, so my next question related to this, can we edit this movie, edit out the crime bits, edit out all that stuff, and show a judge this, a custody judge in West Virginia, and get Jimmy Logue in custody of his daughter, please, because oh, Bobby Joe sucks. So, okay. I, di- I think it's Moody that sucks. I think they both Bobby suck. Joe is... She says, yeah. when he's like, I'm not letting you basically like move and take my daughter, she's like, with what money? Like, she knows he has no power in this relationship, and it's... Okay, we were, PJ, what were you talking about just moments ago? I don't think she's a bad mother. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Necessarily. Right. Um, but we don't see enough of her to know that for sure. I just, there's some questionable things. So there's what I brought up with, like, basically screwing Jimmy over because he has no money in the custody thing, which happens a lot in That's America. True. So I'm not, like, not necessarily a blanket statement against her. But also, like... um you know, the can't eat ice cream because you're going to get fat. This little girl's like, what, six, six to eight? She's a little girl. Don't love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think to a degree, like Moody's children are much worse, obviously. They're products um, but, of their environment. Like that's, that's yes. the interesting thing about it. And I think that Bobby Joe, right? Bobby Joe. Yes. So funny. That's also my aunt's name. Um, but uh, she, and my mom's name is Billy Joe. So on top of that, my brain is just all kinds of scrambled at the moment. We're talking about divorce. So like everything all slammed into one. Um, but I, I think that she, the mom is less the issue. And I think that she is. So she's like day drinking, for instance, like the first time that we see her, she has a glass of wine and it's in the middle of the day, noonish, probably when she, when, um, uh, little girl, what's her name? Holy shit. Uh, Sadie. Sadie is getting picked up for the first time. And, and that's when this conversation happens that we're talking about where we, we kind of get the initial scene setting of, is she an asshole? And I think she's like middle America housewife trapped kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Like she's, she's that doesn't, that's not an excuse. It's just, it's an extra layer to the character of like, as we mentioned with Moody, he's a piece of shit and flirting with anyone who moves on legs. So like I don't know if he is, but I don't know if he's flirting with anyone of those. But well, Melly is. I mean, come on, can we blame him for flirting with? No, him? I mean, we besides can't, the married but, thing. But yeah, well, come exactly. on. right. If, That's if a big thing, married, but yeah, but like I mean, yeah, we have eyes. We've all seen Melly. She's looking good. Yeah, I, I guess like the the trouble that I have with with her is that it feels like she's she's almost aware that she's in a situation where she's married to a person who will fuck the secretary. Like, uh, uh, you know what I mean? there's there's a stereotype there that's underlying and you're seeing it bubble to the surface in her character um like she's playing a part 
the yes but she's yeah. also cognizant of it and so like it mm-hmm. feels like her daughter is the one thing that she can control and so she's also lashing out negatively and that's why in the end it ends up being positive when she sees him get into a stable job and kind of like moves in the other direction so i don't think bobby joe fully sucks but i do think right. she sucks partially because she put herself in a shitty position um yeah but also, like, I mean, you know, it does. I think it does make sense that she would overcorrect from Jimmy to a guy like Moody, from a guy that she thought was going to be a professional football player. Like, yeah, too. That well, so like Crossland, great segue for me into my next question. <laughs> Jimmy Loden from Wild and Wonderful West Virginia. West Virginia has its own Division One football team. Nothing to sneeze at. No LSU, but very good. So why would he go to LSU? And you know, I did my background research on this. His, so Channing Tatum, that. 41 years old, mm-hmm. I extrapolate, I looked at his birthday, probably graduates high school, 1998. Now, his senior year of high school, both LSU and West Virginia were bad. Both won, I think, four games. The following year, both are also bad. So his true freshman year in the year 1999-2000, almost definitely not playing football that year. He said now he's redshirting. Now, LSU hires Nick Saban, I believe, in 2001. They win the national championship 2003, which would have been Channing Tatum's redshirt redshirt senior year. So, it made sense that he's a big deal. And You were fucking Charlie Day conspiracy theorying this out (laughs) so hard, and I am fucking here for it. It is so good. I just wanted to know, like, West Virginia, I feel like, wouldn't be super into a kid going to LSU. You know, they... Someone from Louisiana, their dream is to go to LSU. Yeah. And I know it's different, like, but I thought it was similar, kind of like a very specific subculture, southern subculture in this area. I thought it would have made sense for Jimmy to have gone to West Virginia, but they were bad the whole time he he would have been there. LSU wins the national championship, similar-ish color schemes. Um, I was just like, my question was, why did he go to LSU? It's not like LSU was a powerhouse at that point. However, you're from West Virginia, Louisiana, great party state, LSU, great party school. Made sense. What I have to input on LSU is I think that this was a multiverse play for Channing Tatum to build in for Gambit, and the universe was going to split open, and Logan Lucky and Gambit were going to be the same character. Uh, not Logan wow. Lucky, Jimmy. but Jimmy Logan. No, yeah, Jimmy Logan. Um, no, yeah. Similar- I- I love I love your breakdown. Actually, that's such a fantastic analysis. And like my my knowledge of football fairly limited, so you're a very complex breakdown here. But I do know the big names. I know Saban. I know LSU. You running through that, I was like, that tracks. <laughs> I I had to do. I mean, I didn't get into it as much. Yeah. But last movie I did was Point Break with oh, John Utah. Famously nice. went to Ohio State. Yep. And they beat USC. So I was trying to figure out like, do surfers care about? football probably not <laughs> i mean like every other besides point break i've never been interested in surf culture at all mm. anyway that's, that's a story for another time and like we don't have to answer these questions they're just silly things that pop into my head while yeah. I'm, I'm watching this pj did you have any thoughts on the on the charlie day-esque football breakdown that's how i'm referring to it i mean I <laughs> okay i can with my i love hand it motions yes <laughs> i can absolutely track where you're coming from and i would it wouldn't surprise me if that's actually like the the reasoning behind all of it, but it well, wouldn't have, I, it wouldn't have struck me to ask the question in the first place. So, 
I just thought it was weird that like West Virginia, I thought they were good at that point um, because of Pat White, but he was a little later, I think. Mm-hmm. But they were bad. And LSU got Saban right after he would have gone there. Jimmy Loden would have gone there, assuming he's the same age as Channing Tatum. And they went to like the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and then National Championship. So it made sense that he would have been like legitimately very famous, which I mean, if I think we could lead into like, why isn't he on college game day? Why isn't like he on ESPN or like anything besides uh, injured construction worker, basically. But I think it's the West Virginian thing. Like someone with that accent isn't going to be on a big TV thing, especially in like the early 2000s. Now they might because of the weird charm, but I don't know. I'm Trevor like way West in the Virginia. weeds on. It's yep. Jimmy Loden. Pepe Sylvia. Story. Pepe Sylvia. It's totally. Um, yeah, no, I, that is, that is so interesting and definitely, I mean, it's, it's a component to think about, right. Is, is the impact psychologically and how humbling that is on Jimmy Logan's character. He goes, he goes from the promising guy to, it, it just shows how truly humble he is and how humbled he's maybe been by his circumstances over the years. Um, and I think that reflects also in his list, right? In that top 10 list where like number seven, I think is shit happens. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, and no one to hang it up, I think is number 10. Um, which I, I mean, both of those I think apply. I think that list is reflective, not only of this job, but of his life and the fights that he's willing to the, the work that he puts into everything. It seems less like just a heist list and more like a, this is my modus operandi for a lot of the ways that I work and think, um, which I think fits into the football thing, which is why I brought it up. Like that seems very parallel to the the career. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. My last question, which we've touched on, how badly does Moody want to sleep with Millie? I mean, they we we get at the end. Oh, 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 Moody, Moody, Moody. Yeah, not bang. Uh yeah, pretty badly, yeah. I think. I think it's all the way, all as much as possible. There, There's an implication that he can offer her a deal. And like that is, he is the sleazy car salesman of sleazy car salesmen, very intentionally playing into the stereotype again. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not helped. And it does, it seems like that is totally what he's going for. And it seems like it's something he does often enough. Um yeah. 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 Anyway, that's all. That's my list. Uh, did you guys have any plot holes, nitpicks, or just general conspiracy theory questions that I devolved into? <laughs> no, I loved it for the record. Uh, it was it was good. PJ, do you have anything you can think of? Um. Nah. Nah. Everything. Every like little thing that I had questions about got addressed in the end of the film for the most part. Yeah. They do a nice wrap up without it being over the top. Mm -hmm. This movie is simply solved by having uh, nationalized socialized medicine because he would have never been fired from his job to begin with, with pre-existing condition clause from his insurance. He would have continued to work on the Charlotte speedway. He would have never gone through the heist if he didn't lose his job and income because of a pre-existing medical condition that he did not disclose. It seems like he was planning this. He was planning this ahead of time while he was working there. I don't think so. That was one of the points. 
that was one of the points that Clyde makes like, Hey, but you don't actually work there anymore, man. Yeah. And right. He had this all mapped out and planned and understood all the, like, he understood everything because of his time working there, which means he was scoping it out while he was working. I don't think he was scoping. Well, I think he, he was collecting the details, but I don't think he actively was planning on the robbery until he was fired. I don't, that's what, that's where I'm at as well. Cause there's, I think it was like a lot of coincidences and yeah. then also like his criminal youth, I guess, had him just naturally catalog everything. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Cause I, it I seems could, like he's done I this kind of that. thing before. Like it seems as though there's a history here. Obviously the cauliflower thing implies a history. Yeah. I could see that, but I'm more inclined to believe that he was on that job site in order to get uh, get information on the on the heist. That's fair. First and foremost, but I don't know. That's hearsay at this point. Yeah, it's kind of it's a minor thing. It's just a question of you know. We're questioning things off screen, you know, kind of. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you have anything cross? No, I, I really don't um, have any nitpicks. We brought up kind of the biggest one in my head, which is the chill blame thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, and it had a logical explanation. Yep. Off screen. Um, okay. Next category coming in hot scene stealer. We have the aforementioned. Fishbane comes in. He's pitching 100. He's hot (laughs) right away. Stays hot throughout. Fantastic. Next, uh, Sadie Loden. I thought that this was a fantastic child actor performance. And she just like, you seem like it seems like it's Channing Tatum's daughter. True. Mm -hmm. Dayton White. He's not there for long. He does a lot of good stuff. And just like the calling his his brain uh, software and all that, or like whatever mm-hmm. CPU, it's all good stuff. Yep. He's been rebooting and, his software. Yeah. Yes. I just love, like, I don't know if it's in other movies, but this and Hot Tub Time Machine, Sebastian Stanger, where he's just like a weird, like, basically douchebag type person. Just like pretentious, I guess. And just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's such a great, yeah. I, Sebastian Stan, great work, and like effectively like more an elevated cameo for a character. Like yes. he's not he's not huge in this. I mean, to bill him on he's the in like bill, three seems... scenes, yeah, and yeah, four scenes, I think. Yeah, um, but he's important enough to the plot that you know. It's... Also, his like commitment to the bit is very laudable. Where he's driving a hundred miles an hour, however fast NASCAR mm-hmm. cars go, and is like passing out, and he says, "I think I'm crashing." Like. Mm-hmm. You could die right now. He's like committed to the bit. Yeah. Uh, NASCAR cars go about 200 miles an hour. Golly. Wow. He, wow. And he's still committed to the bit. Like he could die. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's not a bit at that point. It's just natural. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew they were under excessive G's, but yeah. Oof. I have two more. Uh, Seth MacFarlane, Matt Schoblane, not in a good way, but we've already addressed him. Definitely, he's definitely noticeable. Definitely stands out. Mm-hmm. And then Joe Bain, of course, maybe in too much of the movie to be like a true scene stealer. But whenever he's in a scene, you're not paying attention to anyone else. Did you say the warden? I did not. I meant to. Uh, the warden for sure. Good call. 
the warden might and, win, honestly, and I forgot to write him <laughs> down. And at that, Nauman, for similar reasons, mm-hmm. like yes, he plays yeah. it up pretty well. Yeah, Nauman, like I mostly in TV shows, I'm t- sort of obsessed with these like bit actors who come on and they're just like make or break the show. And it's like you look at their IMDb, this is the only show they've ever been in, and like they're the like the bad guy of a tv show episode or something like that yeah and Naman, like i'm sure he's been in other stuff i didn't look up his imdb but similar like very small role just crushes it and if he didn't crush it it's like noticeable in a bad way yeah um i think i would have a tough time not throwing my full weight behind either the warden or fish um I think both are scene stealers in their own right every time that they're on. They're properly ridiculous. Um, although I agree with all of the picks that you put in scene stealers. Like, there's none of them that I disagree with, if that makes sense. Like, all of them in their own moments do do really steal away the scenes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a two-horse race. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can entirely agree with that. I think I'd go with the Warden over Fish, but that's a close call. Yeah, I think he, for whatever reason, seems more scene stealery than Fish. Even though Fish is like, I think Fish maybe is too central to the movie somehow. It's just like wonder, my weird. In I'd like in my to own know head. amount of screen time. Who has more between Fish and the Warden? We could probably look it up or clock it, but eh. I'm gonna They're say probably fish. pretty. I similar. think Fish. Because Fish, Fish has that entire segment with the gate, which is really long, and I love the gate scene. We also didn't talk yeah. about that at all, but that is a, not, that's but... a long scene. <laughs> and then also the reveal, like that it was planned, is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, with the West Virginia thing over top of that. Yeah. When I was watching it again, I was like, I thought there was a sensor, and then when it flashed back to the thing, I was like, Oh yeah, there was a sensor. Okay, that's what it was. Um, yeah, yeah, that all checked out. That brings us to maybe the second most fun category tidbits which is just anything that jumped out to you i have a ton of trivia cross has a ton of tri- trivia um yeah so i've got a really big trivia bomb to start with so okay. should we the, save it to the end or do you want to start either way either way it'll be what a do you think better it's, i don't know the yeah, trivia you fire away what do you what okay. do you have uh so daniel tried doing the wildest southern accents just delightful mm-hmm I'm all in every time. Yeah. I love when Channing Tatum in movies when he throws things because he's like a kind of like low key of freak athlete. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's low key. It might just be high key after the 20, the jump street movies. So he just like, there's something very natural with how he throws with like just the cell phones and the, the hard hat that like you believe he's like a trick shot expert type of guy. The cell phones into the car and the hard hat that knocks down the lid is so yes. perfect. If I remember correctly, the hard hat was only intended to make it into the bin, not to knock down the lid, and it just worked out perfectly in the one shot. And they're like, "Sweet, we're good, we're done. That's it. That's, that's where, the like, shot." <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, it's almost like you know how Adam Sandler's just like a freaky basketball shot. Like he's just really good. It's like Channing Tatum is just really a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this might be yours. Is is your thing about the screenwriter? I'm going to talk a lot about the screenwriter and is that your big grenade though? Yeah, but I've got a lot. I've got like a lot on it, like a lot, a lot, like more than what is read in most of the regular articles. 
I know nice. some shit from podcasts that I've listened to. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. So I'll print it up and then we can just go okay. with whatever you have. Yep. It is unknown whether the screenwriter, Rebecca Blunt, exists. Some theorize that it is a pen name for Soderberger, Soderberg, I don't know why I keep saying Soderberger, Soderberg or his wife. That's all I have on it. So, Rebecca Blunt is most definitely Jules Astor, which is his wife. Most definitely. And the reason that I say that is that there are very particular laws around using a pseudonym in any written work with studios and, and the rights associated therein. So, you have to pay someone who uses a pseudonym under $200,000 which in theory, the only way that you'd get away with that, because that's ridiculous for a feature film. That's, that's, that is just over minimum dues for a single draft of something is $200,000, which means that you're accepting something that is outside of general WGA terms, but they're willing to accept it if you're taking it under a pseudonym because you think the movie's shit. That's basically the only reason that they'd let you do this. Specifically, the WGA bylaw is a writer must use his or her own name in all writing credits unless he, she has already established a pseudonym or registers one at the guild office before commencement of employment on a writing assignment or before disposition of any rights to literary material on which he, she wishes to use such pseudonym. So the important thing is his wife has no such credits. The other comedian of whom is potentially cited, uh, who is nowhere near the set, also has no credits. Jules was on set for the entirety, which is typically what you do with the screenwriter to have them on set to generally do live rewrites or live reaction or like feed off with dialogue. Very, very typical. Um, and uh, Soderbergh in particular chose to do this film because he liked the script so much. This was his film that brought him out of no longer doing film because he liked the script so much. And they also did not go with a traditional publisher because they wanted to retain the pseudonym rights because a regular, like Sony or a number of other places would have required them to pay more than the 200,000, which means it can't be under the pseudonym because they want to use that for marketing purposes. That's why ultimately most studios paying over $200,000 are that it's a, it's a law. Technically it's a term between the agreement, um, but they, you cannot operate under a pseudonym unless you're paid over that amount. So it is, unequivocally her because Soderbergh cannot accept less money than that period. And he's already established as a writer with a different name. So our options are her or someone else. that's not even completely mentioned. Could it be? And I have no background yep. research on this at all. This is off the cuff. Yep. James Blunt, the singer <laughs> saying you're beautiful, right? Could it be his wife? <laughs> Could she be the your in your beautiful? Oh my God. That's now that. A conspiracy corner. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, she's also British, and this does have a tinge of British humor in a lot of the line execution, his wife. And so there's there's like a, a nice twist of the knife in a lot of places. And for like a writing partner pair between, you know, husband, wife, naturally it makes sense because Soderbergh can tune up whatever he deems. And also the fact that Soderbergh had complete creative control being the editor, cinematographer, director, it's got to be her, like, and he didn't want anyone else to know. Made sense. Um, I kind of liked it better as a mystery, but well, there's your there's your dialogue breakdown of why exactly this is. I will allow the breakdown yeah. to air. You mentioned that this movie wasn't traditionally distributed. 
I mean, it, it was and wasn't. It wasn't traditionally produced, I should say. That's but, what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. I think you said that. I messed it up. Um, but so Soderbergh cut out the studios so that he could have that complete creative control and mm-hmm. make money directly from the film itself, all that good stuff. And because of this, he raised the budget by selling off foreign distribution rights and then sold everything except the movie showing up in the theater to in order to pay for advertising and prints of the movie. Mm-hmm. So he, they sold the post theatrical rights to like HBO, Netflix, all that good stuff, the uh, video through, on demand. Yeah, through Bleecker Street. Which is why it probably appeared so relatively quickly after the theatrical run. Moving on, the list that we brought up, it appears on Jimmy Logan's fridge. It's actually the list from the movie How to Rob a Bank and 10 Steps to Actually Get Away with It, which is a 2007 movie directed by Andrew Andrews Jenkins. Probably Andrew Jenkins, and that's a typo. What? That's that's from another movie? Yeah. that's This is like, I mean, so a lot of the format of this podcast is borrowed from the Rainer's uh, rewatchables. Yeah, right. And this is basically half-assed inter- internet research. Yeah. But that's what I found on IMDb. Huh. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. I just love the list because it felt like it fit his character too. So it might yeah. be one of those things that like they backwards engineered to like fit, um, you know, start off with to like connect it thematically. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't think I've seen that movie. Yeah, I haven't I definitely either. have not. Yeah, I was I was trying to figure out if I should see it because it sounds good. Uh, I think it is poorly reviewed or like mm-hmm. medium reviewed, maybe. Yeah. So like not necessarily go out of your way to watch it. Sure, sure. So that does that mean in universe he used how to rob a bank to get away with it as research? I don't know. I wonder if maybe probably and Ocean's had... Eleven exists. So like, there's yes, also that Ocean's Eleven exists. <laughs> It, it, maybe it's like in um, the town how Ben Affleck was watching Heat. Oh, yeah, true. Did you? Okay. I just got floored by this random fact that I didn't know until this exact moment. And so I'm okay. I'm bringing it up here. But Riley Key, Q, Key. I have no idea. I've been saying Keo. I Keo, Key, something like that. Plays Melly Logan. Of course, we've been talking about her a lot. We've, we've yep. been talking about it. Her grand. Do you know who her grandfather is? I Fucking do. Elvis? Yep. Kind of a flex. <laughs> just to be Elvis's granddaughter yeah no big deal oh my god and Priscilla like she is I mean my god what a what a thing mm-hmm. um sweet yep that's it that's that's the pretty, whole tweet that's pretty dope yeah Elvis's best contribution <laughs> Elvis's best contribution <laughs> oh no that was a joke I also like Blue Christmas so <laughs> It's between her and Blue Christmas. That's where I'm at. That's me. (laughs) Wait a fucking second. Who is Riley Key's dad? Okay, Danny Key? Okay. All right. Anyway, sorry. Because Lisa Marie Presley was married to Michael Jackson and Nicolas Cage. So it was like, wow, is this? (laughs) What if she was Nicolas Cage's daughter? That'd be incredible. I wonder if for me, more incredible than her being Elvis's granddaughter. I know. I know, not not fact. Uh, it is in fact uh, different. Obviously, um, it was Danny Key, the first uh, man that she was married to for six years. But, Interesting. Yeah. Anyway, okay. just floored. Anyway, we've, we've touched on this one as well. <laughs> uh, several yep. NASCAR drivers have cameos, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not gonna list them off. But you know, it's the Tate Delivery Boy, 
uh, the limo mm-hmm. driver, the West Virginia State Troopers, uh, the security guards, and then Jeff Gordon and Jeff Gordon plays himself as like his actual role as a color commentator, I guess, for NASCAR. And Daryl Waldrip is in it. I don't know in what role. I didn't write that down, apparently. But I thought, like we said, they just seem to be actors. Like, you don't really... I feel like normally, even if it's not... I guess because I have no knowledge of NASCAR, I wouldn't notice them. I would just assume that they were actors. But specifically, the tops, I thought, were very good. Um, both when the lady gets hit by the car, or the her car gets hit, and they're like, sorry about your car, man, but... You know, you don't have to fill out these forms. And then also when they're like, I need, this woman needs containing. Like, it just felt real. There was good comedic mm-hmm. timing and all that and line deliveries. Yeah, they do not seem like they aren't actors. Yes. It feels like they are extras effectively or like, you know, bit players. Um, but in fact, they are race car drivers, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. I didn't even know. Yeah. At yeah. all until this conversation. Uh, so Tross brought up Michael Shannon was supposed to be in this movie. I didn't have what role he was supposed to be. And also Matt Damon was originally supposed to be in this, but both had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. And Michael Shannon, in my notes, I have would go on to be in Knives Out, which as Tross brought up earlier, similar vibes. The movie that Shannon chose to film instead was The Shape of Water. And I do not like great fucking choice, dude. Like no, no shame on this movie. The Shape of Water is one of my favorite movies. Is that period. the, like the Fishman movie? It's the Fishman movie. Yes, yes. It's the it's the Guillermo del Toro Fishman movie. Can you but <laughs> pitch it to me in seven seconds? Uh, the Shape of Water is a it's a it's a fantasy horror love story. Like that's that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, and Good pitch. It, it is surrealist. That's it. Okay, fantasy horror monster love story. Okay, yeah. PJ, have you I, seen I, it? I, I love it. Okay. I love that. Okay, it, it is. It is probably. It, I think it's the only sci-fi movie to win an Academy Academy Award for Best Picture specifically, um, and it was also, I think, Del Toro's first win for Best Picture, which is huge for him because he mostly directs, you know, weird sci-fi horror films that I adore um, or historical horror. But yeah, anyway, <sighs> my next and Michael piece. Shannon plays a fucking brilliant character in that. So like, okay, ooh. so oh, he did make God. a good choice. Okay. Yes, yeah, I think he made the right choice, ultimately. But So this movie was one of two featuring Channing Tatum in the year 2017 to also feature the song Take Me Home Country Roads, the other being Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Ooh. which, I... not as good, probably love it more. I do really enjoy The Golden Circle. I didn't like it as much as I liked the first movie in the Kingsman series, uh, but I did still enjoy it. I think, I think I've watched Logan Lucky more than I've watched Golden Circle. Not to say that it's a bad movie. It's, it's a great movie, but yeah. Hmm. Just weird. I like the cowboy nature of the whole thing. Yeah. PJ, did you see Golden Circle? Did you see Kingsman? Nope. Yes. Okay. I think, I think he did. I think we went to the movie so. theater together. I think yeah. for me, Kingsman was a more than once movie. So it's better. Mm-hmm the more you see it like the first time i the first time i saw it i was like fuck this movie and then i watched it again and i was like okay and then i watched it a third time i was like i love this movie i'm all in yeah i loved it from the jump i'm not gonna lie i was like this is the gritty action this is the in my head kingsman was the better version of deadpool and kick-ass because it it blends the humor seamlessly as opposed to making the humor and violence like the forefront which i i don't know i just liked it 
that's my brain though my last thing my last tidbit is for whatever reason until my most recent rewatch i didn't notice how well they establish earl and that he's like in the movie i just thought that they brought him up at, at the end but he's like he's on the porch of the bar and he's like earl you gotta like and then um he's there when jimmy is spray tanning sadie which mm-hmm. i had some concerns about because it seemed to be using a tar thing so like how do they was there any no residual paint from the tar i don't know how that works anyway it's not this category and then he's also in he's also mentioned when um jimmy says to sylvia go see earl he'll take care of you about the issue with the truck Mm-hmm. And that's just I didn't notice it until this time. Yeah, the Earl is Earl is a fantastic character that I think just perfectly blends into the background, and that you truly have no idea about until you hit the end. Like he's he's there in the beginning scene, like you said, when when fucking um, Clyde needs a light to like Molotov bomb the yes. dude's car, which is such a great scene. I can't believe we did, we didn't mention that one right off the bat. Uh, I mean, we kind of did. We did, we, did we, we brushed over yeah, that yeah. part of it, but yeah, like just right. We we mentioned immediately the, fun part of the scene, not the yeah. His brother's gonna beat up. He's just like, I'll just light this car on fire. No big immediately. deal. Immediately, like, like the moment yes. that the fight starts, he walks out of the bar, and you're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And he's just yeah. very casually great throw from him too. Yeah, that um, yeah. Anyway, so Earl is just is just there, and then he's just there in so many other scenes, mm-hmm. and you're like. You don't really know. And then at the very end with the cigarette, you're like, oh, he's the he's like real excuse as to why they really got away with this. Um, and it's it's just brilliant because he's one of the real inside guys. He's one of the yes. real technical people that we never see who is totally a back end agent and executor of the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And when you think about the film way too much like we have at this point you you realize that the moment in which he goes to go spray tan is also a scene for Channing Tatum's character, Jimmy Logan, in the background to have that conversation with Earl about like what they need to do and plan. We just don't see it. It's an off-screen moment. Um, reminiscent of like Morningstar and like the way that people will show up and then we'll cut away. You know, it's kind of the same thing. That's all I have on my list. Uh, you, what do you have? Those were, I mean, that was inclusive of most of the stuff I had on my list. Okay, um, cool. I, I wanted to meme and dream on the Ocean 7-Eleven thing, mm-hmm. because that does, in fact, mean that, like, <laughs> Ocean's Eleven exists in-universe, and I love poking fun at that kind of shit in movies. Like, the Lord of the Rings, like, uh, meets back on the menus, boys, yes. right? Yes. And, like, that implies that, like, orcs have restaurants, which is a whole thing, and have menus. Like, there's just so much shit like that in movies that I love to talk about it, but it's just nonsensical. But I would like um, an entire oral history on how that line happened in the There's a uh, great Total. Polygon article on it. Oh, no was, joke. It, was it um, a yeah. um was it an ad lib or was it like in the script? No, it was in the script. Yeah, yeah. So someone someone wrote up this whole wonderful, wonderful paper on basically what that implies and what it means for the larger Lord of the Rings universe. And I was like, you are my friend. <laughs> I think this is this is just a yeah. thought from me, but this that one scene is probably, if I had to guess, why Christopher Tolkien disowned his son for being involved with the movies. I think it was that he was just like, on the menu, what's disowned? I've had enough. Disowned. 
I am putting this in the chat now. Anyway, uh, read that on your own. I will. <laughs> at some point, but it's so good. Um, PJ, did you have any behind the scenes or things, you know, tidbits? Anything that thoughts? just. I just out watched this movie like yesterday. Like, I am coming at this fresh. I do not have any background. Like, no, but extra did, did you have anything else that like you liked just like, or like. Yeah, like anything yeah. that you were just. Oh, like, just huh. in general. Let, I I guess I'd like to go back to nitpick a little bit. Okay, sure. Um, the the way they so easily were able to slip past the guards in the, that were like driving the golf cart around, or not not driving the golf cart around the uh, the guard Inspecting guards on patrol, in, yeah. like looking for smoke. Those are the most fucking incompetent guards. Um, and they're but at the same police time, officers maybe too, right? because hmm? like that Charlotte yeah. Motor Speedway has its own police force, so they're like actual mm-hmm. police officers, not just rent-a-tops. Is the implication? Yes, and the extra joke yeah. there then is that the, these are like police officers that are like rent-a-cops. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the one actor, the taller uh, white guy, yes. I think he is just yep. like he's in stuff, and he always plays basically an idiot. So. I think because I've seen him be an idiot before, I was just like, oh, like we know where this is going. Unfortunately, he has been typecast terribly for himself. Hate yes. to see it. Maybe he's just dumb in real life, you know, and he's just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so, sorry, bro, whoever you are. He's uh, not going to hear it. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. If he does. Yeah. He's going to be like one of one of your number one fans. <laughs> just drive by. He's like, man, that's really hurtful. If, I said maybe, you know, he didn't let me know. Holler at me. If you're not dumb and you play the tall white security guard and loaded lucky, let me know. And if you are dumb, also let me know. Either way. Um, but that's that's all I've got. Basically. Okay. So this, all the categories you know about, they're done. They're buried. We covered them. This brings us to the most fun category. If we were in a heist crew, what would your roles be? PJ, I want you to go first. I know what your roles are. You have two roles in my mind in my heist crew. You don two hats. But this is like this is like what you think you would be and what you would want to be for first, and then I'll say what I have. Alright. I think I think I'd be there for intimidation. And uh uh hmm. Math. Okay, fair, fair assumption. I don't know. Um intimidation, I think like you have no choice. We have to use it as the wild card and I like we're podcast friends. I know you. I don't know you like super well. You seem like a sweet guy. You seem really nice. I don't think you'd actually be a wild card like trying to threaten people and punch them and stuff. But you're you're what six seven? It look like I could. Right. Yeah. You're huge. Like you have no choice. We have to use you as the wild card, the muscle, the scary guy that's threatening everyone. Like we literally, I'm like our hands are tied. It's true. It's true. I'll play into it. So previously, on the life of PJ Heller. Physics major, correct? Correct. Currently, chemistry major. Uh, mechanical Becky. engineering. Mechanical yeah. engineering. Were you doing chemistry? Nope. I don't know. Okay, never mind. Then. My other thought was <laughs> demolition, because I thought you were doing chemistry for some reason. That would I totally still, fit into I his, s- yeah. I just see you I do still break stuff. I'm still not, well, like, blowing stuff up. That's what I need yeah. you yeah. for. All right. He could still do that. Like, I don't need, yeah. And that's that's efficiency, because then we got two of the most important roles, one guy small crew we're getting away with it now 
but generally the the like math bomb guy isn't the guy that also is standing out front and guarding which is odd so like that's an interesting combination i like it i like it though i like it though that's our wrinkle yeah they'll never see it coming all right cross what are you who are you i think so the way that i think of myself is as the wild card, truly. Okay. Like, I just do whatever the fuck I want a lot of the time. You're just going to shoot a uh, cop? You're shoot clearly, like, I would probably just shoot a cop. You're um, Wayne Drow? No, I feel like I'm also... I feel like you would pin me as the mastermind. Potentially. I didn't have one for you. Oh, you uh, didn't, didn't plan think, one for me. I think you're How the dare talker. you? I think you're I'm, the talker. I'm, I'm the talker. I thought you would think you were guy. the mastermind. I yeah. knew that I would think I'm the mastermind. Mm. I thought we'd be butting heads over it, and then I thought we'd both be like, because I like to think I'd be the mastermind, but also that if I wasn't, I'd be like at the very least the guy that's like, you know, this isn't they're your money, you're insured, everyone be cool, like we don't. Sorry, we're fucking up your day, but we like it's what we do. I, I think PJ's right. I would be the smooth criminal, like that's totally the the silver tongue devil. Mm-hmm. That would be the role. So like, what I, was me, I think if George. Clooney, yeah, right. You'd put me in George Clooney's shoes or what have you. I think it's Clooney. Clooney plays the guy who's always like up front. He's kind of yeah. a mastermind, but yeah. Okay. That yeah, feels... you're like the Tom yeah. Man type of bank robber. Yeah, of I feel like I get stuck with that and I hate that for myself, but also like it feels like if I were forced to do crime, that would probably be what I would do. So I don't know. I feel like, yeah, you don't have to be forced to be a bank robber. It's cool. It's cool to be a bank robber. Right. Okay. If I chose to be a bank exactly. robber, I feel like the way that we would use my skills is that. Like you're our inside. But also man. I'm I'm factually one of the worst liars in the world. So like there's also that that's a problem, but that's only to people who know me, I guess. So Okay. That's all I have. That's Load and Lucky. That's a podcast, I think. But before we get out of here, you guys, we touched on it, we talked about it by just saying the name of your podcast which is words and whiskey you are so this comes out december 7th i believe cool what is going on in your universe we will have just finished formally everything red rising related until book six comes out what series are we starting pj mistborn so we are starting brandon sanderson's mistborn series uh the first age age no the final empire is the name of the first book the final no 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 first era the first era first era first era yeah we'll be covering the first era which is the first trilogy of books um that episode will come out on the ninth the first episode our episode zero will come out on the second so that's just kind of pre-talk with pj for like 20 30 minutes so since this is a new a new series that we're going to be tackling i'll give a quick rundown of kind of our format and that is me being not a reader, not somebody who has traditionally gotten into reading ever. Um, I was very slow at reading um, and it was discouraging. So I didn't. And Crossland loves reading and has wanted to talk to me about different books that he's read. Um, so this is, this is the way that we do that. It essentially, this forces me to read and it gets him to kind of share those stories with me. Um, we get to tackle it from Crossland having crazy knowledge of the background on stuff like we like we showed here. Like he really digs in and researches shit. And I just kind of read it and guess what's gonna happen next. So it's fun. It's a fun dynamic. 
Yeah, and I'm so excited for Mistborn. This one was voted on by all of our fans uh, across a number of mediums. And this was a very close uh, first with second place being first law. So we will definitely be covering that next. But that's um, that's kind of our game plan for the future. So that'll carry us into the summer of, uh, of next year. Nice. So, I had that's wild voted like that. for the first law because I bought yeah. the whole trilogy as one and just haven't. I read the first one, haven't been able to like sink all the way into it and just dive in. So I was hoping you guys would be my motivation. And I had started Mistborn before it was announced that what you guys were doing and once you announced that I was like let me stop so that I can successfully go on the journey with you read it as you guys go very excited for this um and you know words and whiskey great podcast one of my go-to's one of my listens are one of one of the shows I listen to all the time and Cross and PJ are awesome you get their banter you get like you see their friendship. It's awesome. Well, you hear their friendship and it's just really, really, really good. And if you want to get into red rising, which I highly recommend and I don't know how you're listening to this. If you haven't read it, because I think that's how people find me anyway, <laughs> read red rising, listen to Holler pod, hail reaper and words and whiskey because all great. It's like a great red rising podcasting universe. We got going. Yeah. I, again, um, thank you so much for the compliment, of course, and for inviting us on the show. This is always a ton of fun. And I, I think oh, yeah. PJ said this last time and I didn't, but I we, we fucking love this whenever we get to come on and talk about a lot of these movies because we love this kind of stuff. And right now our current format as we're publishing is completely different than a lot of the things that we, um, you know, a lot of the things that we immerse ourselves in more than, you know, books immediately. So. Yeah, that's why I yeah. like having you guys on, because it's just like, even though we've only ever met via Zoom and like all this stuff, it just feels like talking to old friends somehow. And it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's a it's a blast. All, every time. It's a fucking blast. This is right. number three, right? Yeah. 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 It yeah. seems like yeah. more, though. But it's true. So we talk for seven hours every time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, we have that problem. It's yeah. uh, it's certainly an issue. Makes for fun editing. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we... Fun and we talk a lot, sometimes. man. Well, that's why <laughs> we really talk this time I planned ahead. And I usually I'm like, oh, I'm putting this episode out like tomorrow. But this time I was like three weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> I need some time to edit this the shit down. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, people, as always, if you did what you're hearing, make sure to hop on the podcast platform of your choice. Uh, give High Key Obsessed those five star ratings and reviews. Leave a comment, all that nice stuff. And be sure to hop on Words and Whiskey. I don't care if you listen to them. Just drop the five-star rating and review for the boys. Like, I, my whole thing, if you want to give real feedback, hit us up, hit them up, hit me up on Instagram, wherever. But lie on the reviews. Help people find the show. doesn't matter. And if you hate it, tell an enemy about it. Tell them it's gasoline. Tell them to listen, and they'll maybe fall for it. Either way, I'm getting listeners. They're getting listeners. Who cares? And if you want to find Words and Whiskey, where can you do that? What's your social media, guys? words whiskey pod on both twitter and instagram it was whiskey very well announced an e. yeah yeah whiskey yeah. with an e the american version whiskey. correct yep. and there's they do uh memes they have cool title cards that i like and a nice logo anyway and you can find words and whiskey or jesus christ you can find high tea obsessed at High key underscore obsessed underscore podcast on Instagram and at high key o podcast on Twitter. 
And until next time, people, peace out.